All right, David Freyheit, uh, a.k.a. Viva Fry, former litigator turned YouTuber turned aspiring politician. <laughs> what's, up, what's up with that? That's, yeah, a, that's it, a pretty it, long title there. Well, and you know, the, the funny thing is, I, the irony is that I went from the, what I consider to be a relatively toxic environment of commercial litigation, the practice of law. I said, I didn't like it, did it for 13 years, got to know it. I said, I'm going to leave this, go into YouTube. Fortunate enough to have built up something of a sustainable YouTube channel community, and then over the last two years saw what I believed to be a free and democratic society crumble uh, to what we are currently living through, which I do not believe is indicative or representative of a free and democratic society. So I said, I'm going to throw myself into the toxic environment of politics <laughs> and run for office. So you know, it's, the toxic environment. It's, right, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a big, beautiful circle, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, no, I, it was, I, I told Maxime Bernier when I you know, discussed with him as to running with the party. I said, you have to let me run on this, uh, the truth of it, which is I never wanted to be here. And but for the forces of the world, I would not be here. I would rather be making videos in my car, which I still plan on doing, but I had no choice but to actually stand up and at some point say, complaining on YouTube is one thing. You know, I raise awareness and it's great, but I need to step into the political field and try to make a difference because I don't like the way I see things going in Canada. See, that, that, that's what I look because I follow your channel. I mean, we have a common friend. I discovered your channel uh, through uh, Pantelis, uh, a common friend of ours. So I started following you and um, it, it, I think it's an interesting channel. It's very informative. Um, and when you announced on your channel that you were running for office, I thought two things. I thought, OK, uh, finally, someone that has the courage to put his money where his mouth is <laughs> because there's a lot of political commentary uh, on, on the channel and it's good it's informative I, I, there's no and what i love about the channel is that you're fairly unbiased okay i mean you you do kind of sneak in your opinion here and there which is fine it's normal but i thought you know what after all that commentary and all that you know all that all that content on politics finally there you go someone that has the courage to do that and say, you know what, let me run. And secondly, what I thought, I thought, you know what, maybe this experience is going to make him better understand, mm -hmm. you know, what it takes to do the job. Because, for, you know, and, and you're very critical of the politicians once they're there and how they do their job. And, and, and it's fine. It's your opinion. But the, the, the work and the sacrifice it takes to actually make it there is is something very few people actually know and obviously much less get to experience so well, and here i i am sensitive to the fact that it's very easy to play monday morning quarterback and just look and criticize everything the government does um take biden right now with the crisis in afghanistan it's very easy for everyone to sit back and say it went wrong this is why it went wrong and this is what you should have done knowing how it went wrong but then there's also just the reasonable objective you know viewing things which is, I don't care how hard the job is. If you can't do it, don't do it. Uh, and if you're doing it badly, I don't care if you're conservative, liberal, or whatever, you're going to get called out. You're going to get criticized for it because that's what it means to be uh, you know, a public figure. That's what it means to be a politician. And that's the only way you actually learn and correct your mistakes. The problem in politics is nobody wants to correct their mistakes because that's a sign of weakness. So they double down on the mistake. Uh, and I think that's a fundamental uh paradigm that we have to drop in politics apologizing or correcting a mistake is not a sign of weakness but politicians don't seem to want to do that as relates to the what it takes to get there uh, it's a filthy industry it's a filthy backstabbing conniving dishonest industry uh, and you see what politicians have to do to get to where they're at it's not always clean and it's not always fair 
Um, but and, and I may very well lose on that because I'm not willing to do certain things just to gain power. People might think I'm weak for it, but there's no point becoming the monster when you're trying to slay the monster, to quote right. uh, Nietzsche, I hope. Mind you, because I saw a video that you put up the other day and, you know, having organized a lot of campaigns and having run a campaign myself, uh, I'm still trying to figure out how in the middle of a campaign you still find time to water ski. <laughs> well, so I'm, I'm at my parents' cottage and the kids, I'm a ball of stress. So, it, you know, the, the moments where I can uh, de-stress, I can't, but I'm sitting here doing this doing my, you know, the, the YouTube thing. And then I, I'm still, I got kids here. So I jump out in the boat, but I, I'm going to thank my brother, my sister who are in from out of town, my parents who are watching the kids, my kids and, and the other kids, but I got to, you know, still, you got to be a parent at the end of the day, because I didn't bring kids into this world so that someone else can, can raise them. But that, see that, that, that's the tough part uh, about politics as well. Right. And I mean, eventually if you pursue this, I think it's something that you're going to understand the amount of sacrifice that goes into this, the things that you have to put aside because you have to give yourself. I mean, that's the contract that you make, right? You give yourself to the people that you want to represent. And it's not true that the people that you're going to represent eventually necessarily support you. And that's, that's the crazy thing about doing politics that the minute you're there, you have to represent the 50,000 or in federal, it's whatever, 80 or 90,000 uh, constituents. Uh, and uh, it, it, it's it's a mysterious uh, world uh, to, to, to work in. Well, so this was this was part of my revelation. I made a video on it. You know, my, my thoughts, my retrospective of having gone door to door and talked to, you know, I got 100 signatures. We actually got a few more because I had a friend get some more insurance signatures, but I got over 100 myself. And I, I, to get 100, you got to talk yeah. to 150 people because there are a lot of people who, even after you talk to, they don't even want to endorse you to get on the ballot, even though it doesn't mean supporting you as a candidate. But I understand that. I talk to these people and you realize we're in a we're in a political climate now where people don't appreciate that you, on the one hand, have to represent the people who didn't vote for you. And you still have to represent and find a way of reflecting the interests of those who, who don't agree with you. Yeah. Now, people don't think it's possible, but by and large, it is. But it starts just with listening first. And you can say, look, I've heard you. I know your concerns. At the end of the day, we have to make a decision one way or the other. But, you know, the way Justin Trudeau is doing it and saying, we live in a free and democratic society. And, I've, you know, you're free to not get vaccinated. But if you don't, you're not getting on a, you know, on a plane or a train. Well, that's not exactly listening uh, to your constituents who don't agree with you. That is basically just, you know, majority rule or at the very least government rule. Uh, there is a way to do it depending on the issue. I think politics and politicians have sort of lost that. They, they've lost that um, technique. They've lost the incentive because by and large, your base we live in a world now where you know they don't want to see compromise. They don't want to see people actually paying attention to the interests of the people who don't think like them. They want, they want the victory. Uh, but I think it's it's a it's something that has to change in politics. I, maybe it can't, and then maybe I'm just doomed to be the nice guy who fails in his political run. But I I would like to try to strike that middle ground and and, and actually make people understand. Doesn't matter if we agree or disagree. A government should represent everybody fairly and honestly. Right. So 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 tell me now. This is a big, you know, we spoke about that just before when we started. It, obviously, it's a big decision. You, I'd like to understand, I mean, what was, you know, what was that driving force that told you, look, this is what you need to do now. Like, this is, you know, regardless of what you said and the fact that you're wearing shirts that say, you know, politics ruins everything and all that kind of stuff, you have no other choice. Like, what was it that told you 
David, this is it. It was my kids wearing masks outside in the middle of summer at school. And I said, you know, if I were single or if I had no kids, my decision would be much easier. And it it might be a very, I would call it a selfish decision. It might just be to up and leave because I don't like the way things are going here. But I have kids here who are, you know, go, going into high school, in elementary school, who have friends. We have our roots here. You can't just up and leave when you have kids because it's, you know, it might be nice for you, but it's not fair to the kids, to the to the foundations that we've established uh, of family and friends here. And I said, before I, before I make the ultimate decision to actually leave a place that I think has gone too far south in a direction that I don't want to go, I'm going to have to make the run for it. And, and I'm sitting around, you know, I make the videos complaining or criticizing some of these measures, these lockdown measures, mask mandates, curfews. You know, I, I've made videos explaining how I think it's fundamentally unconstitutional to forcibly detain incoming travelers uh, in government facilities. And at some point, you know, complaining is good. And I say complaining will sensitize people to the problem. But I, from a personal perspective, said, okay, I'm I'm miserable seeing what my country's becoming. I have two choices, run from the country or run for the country. And I say, I'll run for the country before I run from the country. Uh, and if people don't want to change, and if this is the Canada people want, I will then reassess my future here based on what the will of the people are going to show next election. But I could not just sit idly by and, and make YouTube videos about it anymore. I have to try to change the future that I see shaping for my children, for their friends. Yeah, I, I find it deeply distressing to see what world, what world in Canada, my kids and my kids' friends are growing up in. And I'll try to change it if I can. And if I can't, and if it doesn't want to be changed, then we'll see. Yeah, it's interesting because, uh, and obviously you're a lawyer, so you know this much better than I do. Um, what what part of the Constitution? Because clearly, I mean, anyone can argue that our fundamental rights and freedoms have been taken away from us, right? And it's not only at the federal level, we're seeing things at the provincial level as well. Uh, there is a certain degree of improvisation that we've seen where in the beginning, even Justin Trudeau was saying that uh, mandatory vaccinations won't be uh, uh, I, I, and suddenly they are. I need to, uh, I need to find those two audios to juxtapose them. But yeah, he said, we, th this is not uh, a Canada in which we live. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's out there. Uh, actually, I saw that, but um, even, even provincially, you know, um, restricting people's access to businesses or even just closing down businesses altogether. It, it is, it's, de it's deprivation of property. I mean, it's it, people, I had this, this uh, interaction with someone on Twitter. And I was saying, this is unconstitutional. This is tyrannical in a way. And they say, oh, it's not like, you know, you're being uh, locked up or you're not having property taken away from you. And I was like, no, when someone says that you can't travel outside of your house after eight o'clock, you're having property taken from you. When you can't travel to properties, I don't own more than one house, but people who have cottages in Ontario and outside, when you can't go to your own properties, you're being deprived of your own property. You're being deprived of your liberty, mobility yeah. rights. Any, I mean, they're, they're all in there. Uh, they're all in the Canadian Charter. You're being deprived of them. And no one no one uh, batted an eyelash. So, Some so, people so, did, but... So what does the law say? Like, uh, aren't, are there provisions constitutionally where the government can withhold these fundamental rights given an emergency? Well, and is this an emergency? Can it be defined? Uh, well, so so you have your, there. there's a few provisions of law. The first thing is, and everybody should know this, and now we fully appreciated it, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms has the first uh, section, which says, here are your rights and freedoms that can only be limited in as much as can be justified in a free and democratic society. 
I got a lot of American subs and they basically say, good, you have no rights. You just have privileges and the government can take them away whenever they want. And we're living through that right now. And I think a lot of people might be more sensitive to that reductio than they were two years ago. But every, not every, uh, many rights in the charter are subject to section one, which says they can be infringed in as much as it's justified in a free and democratic society. Then you have your notwithstanding clause, which says the government can infringe on your rights if on one of the, on one of your charter rights, some but not all doesn't matter which ones you can't allegedly, uh, to the extent that they specify it in the law, make it clear that the law is infringing on your constitutional rights. That can only last five years, and the idea being, if you want to vote out a government that violates your constitutional rights in a law, that's your opportunity to do so. But it be- it becomes sufficiently clear to most people. I think most Canadians we. The government views them as privileges, and François Legault has said as much. Uh, and if if what can justify limiting your mobility rights, you know, your right against forcible detention, is the prospect that if you're incoming on a plane, you might in fact be carrying COVID, even though you tested negative and you can test positive for up to two weeks. That 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 infinitesimal risk, if that's enough to justify forced detention in a government facility under Section One of the Charter. I think we can agree that we don't have very many rights that cannot be uh, infringed upon willy-nilly as soon as the courts or the government say there is some risk, however minimal. I think I think this came and hit everyone. Not We can't really say by surprise because chaos was ensuing in China months before it came here. Uh, I think reasonably anyone could have predicted that perhaps it may come here. I don't know why it, they didn't. Um, but uh, let's just assume that this dropped on everyone as a huge um, surprise. They didn't see it coming uh, and they had to take these measures. What would you have done in order to, you know, quote unquote, protect uh, the people other than the measures that were, that were put in place? All right. So, so first thing, just to explain what just happened here, I don't want this thing making too much noise during the podcast. So, thank you. Yeah. Uh, again, easy to play Monday morning quarterback. Hindsight is 2020. Uh, and I said this early, relatively early on, like once it became clear that it was not going to be two weeks to flatten the curve, uh, then it became the question is, what, what should we do? And we had enough numbers, we had enough stats relatively early on. We knew where the deaths were occurring, and it was long-term healthcare facilities. And you know, the 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 lockdowns did nothing to help that. It probably only exacerbated the problem. But we knew enough in the beginning to make a decision more along the lines of what Sweden made as a decision, which is we're going to protect the vulnerable, uh, but we're going to let those who are minimally at risk uh, of adverse effects live in freedom and continue to support the infrastructure that we need to actually protect the vulnerable. And it's it's like, it's the insanity of what actually occurred is everything that the government did exacerbated the problem in that you ended up uh, lacking staff at these long-term healthcare facilities to the point where infected staff were going from one facility to the next spreading the virus among those who are already the most vulnerable. And you say, we knew the chaos was coming. We knew the chaos was coming. At least the government did. And what does the government do? Well, they donate, you know, a substantial amount of PPE, the personal protective equipment, to China in February. Their argument is that the PPE was nearing an expiry date, but it's not exactly like face masks disintegrate or grow mold after they hit their expiry date. And after having done this, knowing what was coming, knowing the inherent problems with long-term healthcare and the and, and the healthcare system in general, give away PPE, leave the LTHCs totally vulnerable, where which is where most of the deaths occur. I mean, at some point, it's not a question of just 
finding fault for the sake of finding fault. It's logical problems and logical responses were not were lacking. And what would I would have done differently? Exactly that. You you protect the vulnerable, protect those who are sufficiently scared that they don't want to go out, and you let everyone else live free. Take you know take reasonable precautions. Washing your hands is something I did before COVID. But you let those go out and support the very infrastructure that you need to protect those who are vulnerable. Instead, we flattened the curve, all right. We, we, we leveled society and we left the most vulnerable to die, not just from COVID, but from actual malnourishment, dehydration and neglect in the long term healthcare facilities. Right. Let's talk a little bit about your party. Uh, was that um, uh, a, a choice made because there wasn't any other choice available to make or was it really something where that that, that you were aligned with in terms of the ideology and the platform so the, it's, it's an interesting thing it was not the lesser of the evils i don't want anyone thinking i settled for the ppc uh I, it just became clear to me that the ppc people's party of canada parti populaire de canada it it's the only party that seems to have the slightest bit of common sense when it comes to governance you know people have a misconception of the ppc i will say largely because of slanderous media from a media that is sponsored to the tune of a you know, billion dollars a year by the federal government and goes out of its way to sue the conservatives for copyright infringement and demonize the C the PPC uh, for totally baseless accusations. Uh, there's a story there, but we don't need to get into it about Kinsella uh, having a contract with the conservatives to create fake Facebook posts, racist ones, to then pay another think tank to find those posts and say the PPC is racist. Setting that parentheses aside, uh, I knew what I thought of the PPC in 2018 because I am nonetheless vulnerable to media nonetheless. And over the course of the last two years, with my channel, with PPC followers who are in the chat, and with reading the PPC's own platform, I said, okay, they want to have stricter immigration policies so that we can take care of Canadian issues first. And take care of Canadian issues, not just for white Canadians. You know, there, there are plenty of immigrants in Canada. There are plenty of minorities in Canada that we should be taking care of first before, you know, pulling a Trudeau and just wanting to bring in the rest of the world while neglecting our own. Uh, so it was, it was common sense uh, platform policy, but it was really mostly with the COVID. That I say, who's fighting for our constitutional rights here? The conservatives, when it comes to free speech and that infamous Bill C-10, say, yeah, if we're elected, we'll repeal Bill C-10. And I tweeted to O'Toole, like, hey, that's that's nice. How about you just fight against it being implemented now instead of saying we're going to let it pass and then fight it when it's there? Right. Uh, oh, you know, the conservatives are for the carbon tax without really even questioning the efficacy of such a measure. They're not fighting against the lockdowns. And I look at the CPC, the PPC, these acronyms are a little uh, tricky, but I look at the People's Party of Canada and I say, they're, you know, the immigration policy, far from being xenophobic or racist, is actually quite logical. And it means taking care of our own indigenous communities, for example, before worrying about the rest of the world. And it's not selfish. It's common sense. You're the prime minister of Canada. You're not the leader of the UN. And everyone has different interests. But uh, and I saw what they had on, uh, you know, fighting for the constitutional rights, anti-lockdowns. I said it's, it's the only party that actually has any sort of common sense in terms of governance uh, and you know, they, they'll have my vote, but now they have my candidacy. So obviously it's not a very popular party. And like you said, it's often neglected by the media, uh, obviously the, you know, therefore getting very little visibility. Um, uh, you know, what's people's reaction when, when you announce <laughs> yourself to them? I mean, well, it's like, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you believe that this party, why, why do you believe it's viewed so, so negatively? Well, the, I, I believe it's viewed negatively. 
uh, in large part because of inaccurate media coverage and outright slander, libel, and demonizing. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember 2018. I remember it. They were calling Maxime Bernier racist, xenophobic. You know, there was a candidate out of Nova Scotia who did put out what I think is a, a tweet you don't put out about Islam. I say, you, you don't tweet that. I, those are those are wrong tweets uh, in message and in tone. Uh, but then to go on from there and say, because you had one candidate out of Nova Scotia who put out a tweet, Maxime Bernier and the entire party is racist. I mean, let's follow that logic. Every liberal in Canada, therefore, is racist, is uh, corrupt, is unethical. If, you know, if if it's true for Justin uh, Justin Trudeau, it's true for the entire party. Yeah. Uh, and even more so than one candidate out in somewhere that tweets something that you have no control over. I remember what the media said. And I remember what I thought, because I can be a victim to this as well. And it was only in looking into it and actually getting to know the people and the party. They say, there's nothing racist about this party. It probably has a more diverse uh, candidate range than the other parties, if diversity is a sign of anything. Uh, they are probably more pro-choice on meaningful issues than the liberals. They're pro-choice not just on the fundamental women's issues, they're pro-choice on the vaccine issues, they're pro-choice on the individual issues. So they're not racist and they're not anything, but the media does a good job that, you know, whenever they leave, whenever they throw that accusation out there, it leaves a smell and it's, and it's they know it, we know it, that's how the media works. Um, but they've been demonized by the media, there's no question about it. The reaction, but I was going door to door, you know, everyone, I said, you know, the sh same shtick for everybody. It's like, okay, you know, they declare the election, I'm running. Uh, and I see people smile, oh, good initiative. And they say, I'm running with the PPC. And literally people would like, they take a step back. It was like, I just told them, uh, you uh, killed it, it, it was like, it was like it was, I was waiting for them to ask me where my horns were. Like, you don't look evil. My goodness. You're, you're, I've known you for years. You live in the neighborhood. You have the best house for Halloween you don't look like a racist xenophobe. And I, and I was like, this is literally the way people's impressions and initial impressions work. And then in discussing it with them, they begin, they begin to realize like, yeah, you know, I mean, I think they begin to realize that they might've demonized people in their own minds. Um, I had one person say, I'm not demonizing the party. They're just, they're just anti-vaxxers and racists. And I was like, the A, that's demonizing. And B, that's inaccurate. The party is not anti-vaxxer. No one in the party is anti-vaxxer. There is a world of difference between being anti-vaccine passport and anti-vaxxer. I mean, Maxime Bernier says he's not anti-vaxxer. He just made the decision not to get the vaccine. Whether or not anyone thinks he should get it, it's his choice. I've, I've yeah. been double vaccinated uh, for my own reasons, which some people are free to disagree with. And me and Maxime do not have an issue with each other's respective decisions to do what we've done. But we are against a vaccine passport which is, you know, the government coercing you into a medical procedure with an emergency authorization use, non-FDA approved, experimental vaccine according to the NIH itself. But people consider that to be anti-vax. And, and I was talking with one person who I went door to door to, and he, he didn't want to sign the paper because he couldn't endorse me to even run on the ballot if I were running for the PPC. But they, do understand that, but they do understand that a signature on your nomination slip doesn't necessarily mean that they're supporting you. Right? People didn't even want to see my yeah. people didn't even want to support me getting out there for people to see. Yeah. At one point, I said to someone, I was like, if you hate the party so much and we're such a bunch of uh, radical nutcases, you want us on the ballot and you want us to get embarrassed. You, If yeah. we have bad ideas, you want people to tell us our ideas are bad. Uh, that was one. It didn't work all the time. But but no, with one person, he, you know, he says, well, you guys are anti-vaxxers. I said, no, we're not. You know, I, we just believe that everybody should be allowed to make their own personal decision on these issues uh, and that there shouldn't be a vaccine passport. He says, well, I, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not pro-vax passport either. I said, well, you say that publicly, you're going to get demonized in the exact same way that I have been demonized 
as being allegedly anti-vaxxer, despite being double vaccinated. I just support a person's choice. So that's the reaction. And I said, you know, my number one goal in all of this is to sensitize the Canada to the fact that the PPC is nothing of what the media has been saying it is for the last two or three years. I think people are starting to learn that. And I think the more they hear Justin Trudeau talking about how the unvaccinated are not going to get to ride on buses and planes and, and trains and automobiles, uh, they might start realizing who the intolerance are in this election and who the radicals truly are in this election. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he's going into this race uh, with an advantage if we're looking at the polls, obviously. But then you see what happened in the election in Nova Scotia, where the the outgoing government was... 25 points ahead, something like that. And the conservatives just won Nova Scotia primarily because of the the government's position and policies related around COVID. So uh, I'm seeing videos going around now where people are booing Justin Trudeau. And I'm not so sure that the people are 100% on the same page. And I know that he's trying very hard to put, uh, you know, to make COVID-19 about the ballot question where he's going to separate himself from the other parties. Um... Look, I don't know how that's going to turn I, around. I don't I don't believe the polls and it's not cuz I'm a conspiracy guy. I know how polling works. It's garbage. The polling is garbage and I know as a pure matter of fact you can poll to get the results that you want depending on how you frame the question, depending on how you lead the question and depending on whether or not you're a polling agency who is going to deliberately conduct the poll in a manner to achieve certain results. I did an actual I did a live stream with a guy named Richard Barris uh, with Robert Barnes it was one of our sidebars. And Richard Barris is a pollster, pollster out of the United States. Very smart guy. Got it right with Trump, both elections. Mm-hmm. Um, when you appreciate that some of these polls, these national polls that they use to say that the conservatives are at whatever you know, points ahead or down, they're, they're talking about having called hundreds of people, not thousands, not tens of thousands, hundreds of people through means which are antiquated to the point where you, you're not getting meaningful polls. I can go to Twitter and reach... 300,000 people faster and and get a more meaningful result than any of these polls. So I I don't trust the polls uh, at all, under pretty much under any circumstances. I I trust them to be wrong. And I trust them to be more designed to frame the narrative than to reflect reality. But I trust my own intuition. And I I talk to a lot of people because I am talkative, I am open-minded, and I do have discussions with people who I still disagree with ultimately. And I people have discussions with me who think that I'm, you know, PPC, I must be right-wing nutcase. We still have discussions. And I have discussions with people who I know are left-wing, and they've had it. They've had it. They don't like it. And they're seeing what it's doing to their kids and to their kids' futures. And I think people are turning. I just think it's politically incorrect, and it's politically dangerous to be vocal about it. I don't have a boss. I don't have sponsors. So I'm fortunate that I can say what I want. And, you know, no one's going to no, – I'm not going to have any consequences at work, so to speak. Other people do not have that liberty. And so I guess in some way, it's sort of a responsibility that I share the views that other people are not at liberty to express publicly for whatever the reason. Some people are just, you know, timid, quiet, polite. Others don't want backlash from their employers and others don't want social backlash. Um, But I get the feeling that there are a lot of people, a very, very uh, silent majority who are exquisitely uh, concerned and upset as to what's going on. They just don't vocalize it the same way I do. Right, right, right. Well, we saw that happening in the in the states. People were surprised with Donald Trump winning that first election, and the main reason was that there was a silent majority that wasn't appearing in the polls, which is why Hillary Clinton was uh, was ahead. Uh, 
It is very possible. I mean, you guys are projecting that you're going to do better than what? A little under 2% that he got uh, last uh, election? He got one one and a half percent last time. And right now the polls have him at 6%. Some have him at more than 6%. Up up 3%. Uh, liberals seem to be down. Conservatives seem to be down. NDP seems to be the one picking up. Okay, I'll get me started on the NDP. One day I'm going to turn my sights on the NDP because they are... Jagmeet Singh and the NDP are, are you know, almost as... Now, they're about just as intolerant as as the liberals are. They just they cloak their intolerance in, in benevolence, like uh, Jagmeet Singh with his anti-mask, right-wing, selfish extremist comments. And then, lo and behold, he gets caught being a human. Um, but uh, no, the, 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 do, the PPC seems to be doing very well uh, polling. It's, it's, it's a new party. It's the second federal election. And they've been they've been libeled and slandered uh, more than more than most. I mean, more than the conservatives. Uh, but they're doing well. So we'll see. But I have a, I just I hope I'm right. Uh, I, there's a lot of people who are who are rightly peeved, who don't like the direction the country is turning, and who are looking at Australia and saying, "This might be next for us." And you know, it's it's all fun and games when I support the measures, and then it stops being fun and games when, you know, I, I'm I'm blacklisted because my kid isn't double vaccinated, or I can't get into a coffee shop now because being being fully vaxxed now means two shots and a booster, or two shots and two boosters, and everyone's fine until they start becoming the victim themselves. And so, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stick my neck out there uh, for those people before they get there. But I think a lot of people are starting to see it and it's starting to get angry about it. Let's talk about something that should be uh, talked about more. And unfortunately, we're not, which is the economy. <laughs> and I think like in in my entire you know previous career involved in politics, I think this is the first campaign that um, that I'm following that the economy isn't in the top maybe what? two or three uh, issues and i mean we 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 know the ballooning deficits that we that, that we've been incurring since 2015 when uh, justin trudeau went into government uh, the last week it'll balance itself it'll, you know what balances itself bankruptcy bankruptcy balances itself you know the other day the bank of canada came out and said our inflation rate is at 3.7 they're, yep. they're they're pointing uh 3.4 sorry they're uh no 3.7 I, I think i think it was it was close to four uh, percent last, yeah, last it was 3.7 they're projecting 3.9 uh, by the third quarter uh obviously they're 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 pointing at the ballooning deficits as the the, the main cause um you know justin trudeau was questioning the other day and he said i don't really care about monetary uh, policy i care about the families it's strange to see how you can care about the families but not mind the fact that their cost of living has just gone up um, yes. but i'm looking at your platform online you have a plan on balancing the books within two years is it too ambitious or is it possible to do that okay well i don't know it, it, balancing it in within two years as of when i, I think you know that that plan i don't know if it's realistic or, or unrealistic i think with the deficit now I, it becomes increasingly less and less realistic the, the further in debt we get. And, you know, the, the more we have unemployment and the more we have uh, massive inflation, um, it, let's just say, it may or may not be optimi too optimistic, but it may have also been the plan before we sunk uh, not just the economy, but rather uh, the country into a deficit that I don't know, you know, it'll be difficult to get out of. But you know, one thing that's obvious, first of all, we're not talking about the economy right now because we are running on fear. And we're running on paranoia to distract from the actual more pressing uh, issues. Um, and I'm not saying this to be hyperbolic. We're literally, Trudeau, I shouldn't include me in that, is running on fear and paranoia of your fellow citizens. Focus on the issue of the unvaccinated as though that is the issue right now. And ignore the fact that we might be creating a deficit that we might never be able to get out of. Uh, we are creating labor shortages because 
lo and behold, the CERB benefits, I think, extend to either the day before or the day after the election. We're extended till October, I think. Yeah. So, even, be even better. Uh, we've extended this CERB benefit now. It's, it's, it's going to be close to two years. And I, I'm seeing it. I talk to business owners. I'm seeing the effects of this, which is people can't find people can't find work. They can't find labor. I should say it's not they can't find work. When I you know go downtown, there are signs up that says we're looking for work. Uh, I went to New Brunswick for a road trip. Same problems there. Stores are not able to remain open uh, during regular hours because they don't have enough staff. Because the, the staff that they had that were locked out of their jobs for the last year wanted to work they found work the people who don't want to work or who are too fearful now to work or who you know find it easier to accept these serb benefits not realizing you have to pay income tax on all of that spoiler alert uh are not looking for work what happens you have labor shortages prices go up and your money your two thousand dollars that you're getting for serb is not going to be worth two thousand dollars in in real money uh mm -hmm. and and you putting into policies basically that are just exacerbating the issue, exacerbating the fundamental problems here, as opposed to making the hard decisions like DeSantis does in Florida, which is we're going to cut the benefits. You're going to have to go back to work. You're going to have to live with the risks of COVID because you cannot live like this indefinitely. And like I said from the beginning, if there are people who are so traumatized, they can't go back to work because they're you know fearful of contracting COVID. That's the demographic that you might have to, you know, look at in terms of subsidizing. I think it would be a very small minority, but the idea of just shutting down the whole Canadian economy and printing cash to subsidize them in the meantime to pretend that that's a solution is as naive as saying the the balance the, the budget's going to balance itself. The, you see, the gift and the curse of any new party that may potentially win this, assuming that the Liberals won't win is that one yeah you're happy because you won and you're in government and you can implement your your policies the curse however is that you need to correct this economic situation yeah. and you're gonna have to do one of two things you're gonna either have to impose higher taxation or you're gonna have to start cutting everywhere where justin trudeau has given and that's where you're gonna be seen as the bad guy right yeah. it's like oh no you're cutting you're taking away things and that's the card that they're playing now in the election i find uh the 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 liberal party where uh, especially towards o uh, O'Toole, because that's their main adversary. They're, you know, he's going to take away um, your benefits. He's going to take away your services. He doesn't care about women's uh, women's services. So they're already uh, attacking on that front. At the same time, what else can you do? It's it's it, being a leader actually means making tough decisions and telling the people who are angry with your decisions this is the way it has to be. Not in the same sense as saying being a leader and saying, if you're not vaccinated, you're not getting on a train or a bus. I mean, that's not these are, we're talking about two different decisions here. Yes, the government doesn't fund itself and it cannot increase in size exponentially uh, indefinitely without bankrupting itself. It's just it's a it's a matter of fact, unless the, the government gets into business, you know, and and hopefully businesses, money making businesses other than arms dealing to foreign nations in order to subsidize their own existence. But yeah. The government has to be reduced in size. We have to privatize certain things which have just become federal institutions. And it, it, it is an uphill battle because you're looking at people who are saying, you're coming after my livelihood as a federal employee. And this is like the vicious circle uh, or the, the Kafka-esque reality that you get when, when everyone becomes dependent on the government. Uh, any, any, any discussion about reducing the size of government and you have people saying, well, I rely on them for my existence, even though that reliance is itself... Um, Un, you know, not sustainable. It's right. it's a it's an uphill battle. It's something that people are going to have to appreciate. But I think at some point, any small business owner is going to appreciate the argument that we need to reduce the size of the government because 
anybody who's had to file the paperwork or go through the hoops of running a small business knows it's just too much. It almost exists just to finance itself through the fines and the taxes and the and the uh, interest that you have to pay for not being able to uh, account for all of this government infrastructure that's been created to regulate, control, etc. But yeah, look, it's not going to make us popular with the unions. Uh, it's not going to make us popular with federal employees. Some of them. Might, it might make us more popular with the federal employees who don't want to get vaccinated and an hour seeing themselves risk losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. You, you, at some point, you can just promise people money. You can just keep handing out checks and you're kicking the can down the road the way Justin Trudeau is. And you kick the can down the road until you live in nothing but a government state. And that, you know, we, we've seen how that's panned out in other countries. Uh, let's wrap it up. Um, what's your plan during this campaign? Are you meeting local leaders, uh, local actors, uh, different associations? Are you being you know, made aware of local challenges that you want to uh, help with eventually if you get elected? Well, so the, the, the immediate plan, I'm going to start doing what I'm going to start doing what we call on the Internet. Ask me anything. AMAs in certain areas, parks, cafes, people meet and greet, come and ask questions and just lay out bare what it is that we're running on and what our beliefs are uh, to demystify it to people. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have focus groups, for lack of a better word. I have, you know, I, I've lived in Westmount my entire life, save and except when I was studying law in Quebec City and one year in Paris. I lived in NDG also for a couple of years. Uh, I'm going to meet with with friends and connections to discuss what the issues are. I, and I'm not saying I know what the issues are. I just know what the, you know, we know what the big issues are right now. Kids going back to school um, and and business concerns of local businesses. You know how, how this translates into federal representation uh, is going to be a much bigger issue to to, to tackle. But I'm going to meet with with local business interests, business groups, business owners, and I'm just going to go door to door. I'm going to go door to door after I've got my signatures just to continue meeting people and seeing what the what their concerns are as individuals. I have an idea. But it is going to be a question of getting out there, shaking hands. And I have gone back to shaking hands. I just, you know, I wash my hands more often and um, and hearing what people have to say and just making sure that people know it's not just liberals and conservatives right now. And I've, as far as I'm concerned, those are two feathers on the same bird for to make up my own metaphor. As far as I'm concerned, there's no real difference between the conservatives and the liberals. It's going to be a question of hearing what people have to say and also just convincing them, making them realize that what they thought they knew of the PPC is inaccurate. There were not anti-vaxxers, we're not anti-science, we're not climate change deniers. And there's a massive difference between saying, I don't believe in climate change versus I don't believe a carbon tax is going to do anything other than outsource pollution to China and India. Big difference that people have to understand. And uh, hopefully I'm going to be able to be mildly successful in doing that. The goal is to win. But I know what I'm up against. I mean, I'm up against Mark Arno. So we'll see. I'm going to do my best. David, thanks for coming on, man. Good luck uh, with the campaign. I'll be following closely. Thank you very much. And just to let everyone know, I, I'm not pale. This is just the lighting. It's, <laughs> I, I, I see myself in my camera. I look a little pale, but I'm actually, I've, I've gotten a little sun. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Thank thanks. you very much. Bye-bye.